You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 298. Good morning, and welcome once again to another podcast And here at the Outdoor Station. And as always, I do feel I need to start with an apology for the delay in bringing out a new uh, production. But um, like most people, um, and in fact everybody I speak to at the moment, everybody's complaining about time, and I don't know where the time's gone, but all of a sudden I seem to be struggling to, uh, to get these together. So I do apologise on that front. Um, however, where are we? Well, today is supposedly forecast to be the hottest day of the year. Yes, it's Sunday the 27th of June, and I am once again supporting Rose at a triathlon. Uh, she's at a triathlon sprint event, uh, which is at Worcester, not far from us, uh, and I've just seen her off uh, following her 750-metre swim uh, onto her 27k bike ride, and off she shot looking very good indeed, and, and um, I'm must say that uh, she certainly put in the hours for for the training so we hope that um, she's going to get a good time on this so I've got about an hour before she um, races around the countryside and comes back to us uh, so I thought I'd touch base on a few things and uh, tell you what's coming. Um, well, first of all, in this uh, particular podcast, uh, Rose and I also um, had a bivy night not so long back on Midsummer's Night. Uh, and we went over to Midsummer's Hill uh, on the Malvern Range. As you can see, the support crews do what the support crews do best, and that is making a brew. Um... And, uh, yeah, we kept, we, we kept over on uh, Midsummer's Hill uh, for a very, uh, well, it's a very, very calm, very warm night. Uh, and certainly we've been ha- we're lucky with the weather this last week um, that uh, it is so good. And certainly today seems to be the culmination of, um, of all the temperature rising. Excuse me a second. Oh, always good. Um, so, uh, yeah, so here I am with the, the rest of the other people's support crews in uh, the Worcester event. Uh, we're all sitting back now waiting for the, uh, the cyclists to return. Um, but uh, before we sort of venture out onto um, our camping night, our, our bivvying night, uh, I just thought I'd touch base and bring you up to date with a few things. Um, interestingly, the trade uh, press... Uh, most notably the Outdoor Eye, which is something that gets distributed around to people in the trade, um, has come up with a couple of uh, recent reports, which I thought I'd share with you, uh, and I'm sure they won't mind, um, which um, may be of interest to consumers um, around the world, probably, as well as uh, particularly for the UK. But uh, something that um, is affecting all of us, uh, whether you're uh, a retailer or a consumer of the uh, of the outdoor goods, uh, and something to bear in mind, which uh, which may affect the change that we'll probably see over the next uh, year or so. Um, but basically, uh, let me just read a couple of paragraphs to you. As the outdoor industry prepares for Friedrichshafen and the launch of spring-summer 2011 collections, it has become clear that increases in supply chain costs are causing brands major headaches. Having weathered the storm of the recent global recession, in the industry now faces some hefty price rises. Brands that rely heavily on Asian-sourced production, as most do, are talking of rises of anything up to 20%. 
Currently, currency exchange rates have affected European brands negatively, uh, but we're now faced by a combination of sharp increases in the price of raw materials, rising production costs, overheads and transport costs. A situation made worse by rapidly rising labour costs, caused by an escalating labour shortage, which has led in turn to a shortage of capacity at peak times. Brands will inevitably attempt to absorb as much of the increase as possible, but without significantly reducing their overheads, we cannot see how they can do anything other than increase the price to retailers. If that wasn't enough, the UK is facing further pressure as the newly elected coalition government increases VAT to 20% from the 1st of January. Economists also expect a rise in interest rates, which will ultimately lead to an increase in mortgage rates, thereby leading to a reduction in consumer spending. Well, there's a couple of things there that sort of uh, came through. First of all, obviously, prices would appear they're going to increase and there's certainly every indication that we've seen in the trade is that they're going to increase. The second thing is um, that uh, people that they surveyed, um, only a handful um, said that they'll try and absorb the cost themselves but really ultimately the prices are going to increase so with that and the VAT increase as well you know now's the time to uh, to think about your purchases uh, before Christmas as it were um, and uh, the other thing is which I think is probably more interesting from from our point of view particularly in this sort of lightweight uh, interest market is that we might find that because the Asian market is getting so expensive um, that we may see a, an increase or hopefully the start of of, um, a small UK uh, cottage manufacturing industry because uh, I think there are a lot of people out there who would like specialist equipment that can be made in the UK but currently isn't being made in the UK for different reasons, You know, some of which are price-driven. And, of course, if Asia has become expensive, then it makes um, the UK more cost-effective. So if anybody's thinking about starting a small um, uh, cottage industry to service the uh, the backpacking or the lightweight backpacking market, you know, possibly now is the time. Um there's a couple of other little articles in here which make for good reading. Um, firstly, that uh, the Outdoor Show 2011. Now, as everybody knows, we've been to the Outdoor Show uh, this year and uh, just uh, had a word with the event director about the move to, um, to London. Um, but this, uh, again, is quite interesting. Um, let me just quote this for you. Black's Leisure Group has confirmed its presence as a major exhibitor at the Outdoor Show 2011. Black's will be building the Black's Outdoor Department Store at the show, giving visitors the opportunity to try and buy a full range of outdoors kit uh, from brands including Burger House, The North Face, Anatom, Superfeet, Brasher and Bridgedale, Grangers and Lucky. Black's sister brand, Millets, will create a camping field showcasing a wide range of tents and camping accessories. This major new partnership with the Outdoor Show sees Black's taking five times as much floor space in London as it has done at recent shows in Birmingham. And of course, uh, that show is the 13th to the 16th of January at the XL Centre in London. Uh, and they're tying it in with the, uh, the bike show and the international boat show as well. So it's going to be an interesting show to see who actually goes, uh, but they're obviously... Um, they're expecting uh, a lot of interest from uh, within the M25. Uh, and and uh, Blacks are doing a massive promotion as well by the looks of it on the website. Um, and uh, in all stores within the M25, which obviously increased the footfall to the show. Um, whether it shows specialist stuff or sort of uh, general uh, camping stuff um, to a wider audience. Or, uh, of, of course, with the price increases as mentioned earlier on, Will it be clearance stock? We don't know, but uh, I just thought that might be of interest to people um, in the London area or thinking of going to the show. Um, and there was one other thing in here as well that I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Um, 
We've, uh, most outdoors people have got a, a fairly mixed range of interests and certainly um, typically obviously here as well. Uh, cycling, uh, being part of a triathlon, uh, the UK bike market apparently is growing by 20% per annum. Um, uh, Project Velo, the first UK's ever in-depth study by the cycling sector, estimates the industry to be worth in excess of £1.5 billion, larger than previous valuations. Um, The UK market is an almost perfect picture of growth, burgeoning bike and accessory sales, rising price points, um, Halfords selling more than 1 million bikes in the last year, and leading retailers such as Tesco's introducing bike shops within the stores, and growing packs of cyclists on British roads and sometimes footpaths, as we know. For many UK consumers, cycling is the new golf. Uh, in the last decade, London has experienced a 91% increase in the number of cycle journeys, and with the new cycle hire scheme uh, due to launch in July, July uh, 2010, this figure is set to rise even th- further. So that's encouraging that people are um, obviously becoming more aware of uh, lower carbon impact uh, and uh, the healthier benefits of, of cycling and getting out and about. Um, but it's interesting that um, Outdoor Eyes consolidated some of these uh, reports in uh, and made it um, some uh, interesting reading, along with a few other bits and bobs, which are far too highbrow. Anyway, that um, leads us into um, the, the uh, Midsummer Night and uh, Rose and I's little, ad- little adventure on the top of Midsummer Hill. So uh, I'll let you enjoy that now. Good evening and welcome to Midsummer's Eve. This is the 21st of June 2010 and Rose had a great idea today while we were sitting in the office. She said, it's Midsummer's night, so why don't we go and bivvy out on Midsummer Hill in Malvern? And uh, you find us here now, but what time is it now? It must be the best part of midnight, almost midnight lying in our bivvy bags on the top of Midsummer Hill on the uh, Malvern Hills range. It's not the highest hill in the world. It's only about 930-odd feet. But it is a Iron Age hill fort and probably one of the forgotten ones on the Malvern Hills range, uh, dating back to between three and 400 uh, years BC. And um, according to archaeological digs and so on, that happened uh, during the 60s, uh, the conclusion was that um, there were something like 200 um, round huts, uh, semicircular huts on this camp, and um, it housed somewhere in the region of 1,500 people. Um, however, the Romans, being the fussy lot that they are, um, apparently uh, ransacked the place because when the um, archaeological survey was done, uh, they found that uh, all the base, all the um, the stumps and the uh, uh, roundhouses were all burnt and charred. So they came to the conclusion that um, they evacuated from here and moved um, a couple of miles down the road to what is now known as British Camp, which is another Iron Age hill fort. And, of course, it's the one which is uh, famously brought to life uh, by Sir Edward Elgar and uh, his, uh, his piece involving Caractacus. 
So, um, and I understand that the uh, the British camp they actually managed to fend off the Romans for some time. So um, the the assumption is that uh, this hill fort, which is still very um, very natural, in fact, not many people really know it's here, and they don't really recognise it when they walk up because it's actually completely covered in trees, uh, apart from the the very top where we are at the moment. Um, so it's uh, an interesting place, um, and on the top is the actual only construction on on any of the the hills. Um, there's a little concrete shelter. Um, for want of a better word, it's horrible. It really is foul. It doesn't look very appealing. <laughs> no, not at all. It looks like an emergency body, really. But um, uh, it was a, a memorial, apparently, when the hill was given to the National Trust in 19, 1923 or 1932, one of the two. I think it was 1932. Uh, and it's their marker that um, it was uh, a memorial to the fact that it was passed over to, uh, to the National Trust. So, of course, this all brings us to the conclusion that what we're doing is, in fact, highly illegal. But it's Wizzo fun. So, uh, <laughs> well, it is, isn't it, really? It's just so beautiful. The stars are out. There's a hazy, bright moon. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's almost, it's almost a full moon. It's I mean, the, the moon's... The, we're, we're facing... Uh, east at the moment, so we're waiting for the sunrise on the on the shortest night. Um, the the sun has gone down, left a lovely uh, red glow in the uh, uh, in the upper atmosphere, and that's definitely uh, just gone out of sight now. As I say, the moon is is uh, to our south um, and arcing round slowly, and uh, it will only be a few hours before we see the first rays of of uh, early morning, which is. A beauty to behold, and I'm glad um, glad Rose uh, suggested this because I think the last time I did this was um, well over 20 years ago, and it was what, something. Did you no, 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 no. I stayed up on the hills on Midsummer's Eve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was um, recalling. I think we've got a photo of us all up here with the dog and the girls when they were tots. Um, just, and I was thinking, I never thought 20 years on I'd be up here <laughs> sleeping in a plastic bag. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, you, I said when you met me, I'm going to show you a good time, oh, didn't you I? Did. You know how to treat a girl. <laughs> um, and uh, so on the way up, um, obviously we parked sort of half an hour or so or more ago um, down in one of the lanes. Um, we treated to uh, a line of uh, what we seem to be glowworms uh, in the in the hedgerow, which uh, was uh, a bit like traffic cones. It was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then as we got to the lower encampment area, because it's sort of on two tiers, the lower encampment area, it would appear there was a bunch of druids. Well, yes, could be druids. I mean, making sort a, of druid noises, <laughs> weren't they? There were, there's a lot of ghost stories about Midsummer Hill. We shouldn't perhaps go into those. Tonight. Oh, now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. Yeah, perhaps I should just keep quiet on those. But, uh, yeah, there seemed about half a dozen people looking like, um, well, for what we could see in the, obviously, the moonlight, um, didn't seem to have normal outdoor clothing on, let's put it that way. Uh, and they seem to be gathering for some sort of... Um, summer solstice. Summer solstice, ritual Cele- party, or yeah, booze up, maybe. probably, one of, the, yeah. one of the above. Anyway, so um, we thought we'd uh, share this, this magic moment with you. As Rose says, we're staring up at the stars now, and this is the best bit about bivying. Um we just tucked in our uh, our summer weight uh, sleeping bags inside the uh, the bivy bag, and uh, there's a steady breeze coming across the the top of the hill, the crest of the hill from the uh, from the west, which we're just ducked out of. Um, but this is what bivying's all about. Nice soft springy grass, <laughs> tufty grass. Well, I told you I could show you a bit of comfort. <laughs> 
Anyway, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that uh, as an introduction to um, to a podcast, which I must apologise has actually been a long time coming for numerous reasons, all of which sound like excuses if I actually list them off. So, so just um, do forgive me for um, for the delay in this. And of course, um, if it's before the end of July when you listen to this, um, don't forget to vote for us in the European Podcast Awards, um, and just sort of gloss over the fact that I haven't done one for a few weeks, if you wouldn't mind. Um, <laughs> Talking of which, um, the TGO series from 2010, Andy Howell and uh, Shirley uh, Shirley Worrell have sent down their discs of uh, interviews and um, people they've spoken to and reflections on the the challenges here. Uh, And I'm just starting to play through them all to try and make sense of it and uh, do some editing and try and make a story. So um, they are coming. Uh, and do have a bit of patience, if you wouldn't mind, because there's an awful lot of work in in actually stringing it together so it tells a story. Uh, and um, certainly, oh, look, a shooting star. Did you wish? I did. What did you wish for? I didn't tell you. It won't come true. Oh, okay. Does it involve money? <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, I was talking about Andy and Shirley. Um, Yes, Shirley's approach, of course, was very food orientated and ghost story orientated, uh, as well as uh, many people she was talking to along the way. And Andy was much more blokey. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. So between them, um, it'll be a, a fascinating and hopefully enjoyable series. But um, forgive me, uh, uh, it'll take a while to, to get those together, but I'll do my best to get on with those as soon as I can. Anyway, it's um, gone midnight. I'm going to um, enjoy the last of this uh, hip flask of... Uh, whiskey that we've uh, we've got with us to uh, cushion the uh, cushion the evening and then we're just going to stare at the stars until we get bored with them and then we'll close our eyes and hopefully when we open them again the uh, the early morning sunshine rays will be coming over the horizon and perhaps we'll we'll share that with you as well i'll catch you later few hours later and what a beautiful sight. The sun starts coming up at around four o'clock and uh, we both sort of awoke around quarter past four, half past four and just as you do open your eyes and squint and focus and there was this lovely red jet of light coming up from the east as the sun started to raise its head over the Breeden, Breeden Hill which is um, a few miles away ahead of us at the foot of our bivvy bag if you like. And uh, we've sort of been dozing for the last hour or so. It's now um, getting towards six o'clock. And uh, as the weather forecast predicted, there's a um, a fairly heavy mist uh, lying in the lowlands. And of course, uh, although it's not a complete um, inversion, it's certainly um, beautiful looking out across this little sea, isn't it? 
chocolate. It's lovely. It's just really England at its best. It's all misty and green and lush. Yes, it's uh, one of those magic moments, it's, uh, isn't it? I mean, people know that when they get out and go hiking and, and sleep out in various places, that if you're actually out early enough in the morning, you get to see sights uh, and patterns in the sky and lighting effects and moisture on the uh, and the uh, trees and the, and the undergrowth that that um, people don't normally see. When you get up at sort of 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, um, it's uh, you probably pass the best that uh, this country has to offer in some respects. I've always thought about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning is the most beautiful imagery that um, that surrounds us. And it's very hard to capture it as well. The ca- camera can't capture it at all. It, uh, I've just been trying to take some pictures this morning now and um, I can't expose expose for the, um, for the slight mist on the ground and the sky. It's one or the other. And uh, that's when you start getting into all sorts of graduated filters and things like that. But the, the mind, the human eye, can take in such a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful sight. Anyway, we weren't disturbed by the uh, druids or whoever they were last night. They seem to have gone a different direction and we uh, snuck, bunked down into our uh, bivy bags. And so here we are lying on the side of Midsummer Hill um, the day after Midsummer's Day. And um, actually I'm feeling a little bit peckish and feel like a good uh, good cup of tea yourself. We need a brew, we need a brew. We need a brew. We didn't bring the brew kit with us, we just brought the sleeping kit. So we thought we'd come out and have a bit of fun and... Uh, <coughs> Enjoy looking at the stars and the early morning sunshine and the beautiful clouds this morning. Just the, the shades of blue. I mean, there's so many different shades there. It's a real mackerel sky, isn't it, with the, the patterning? Yeah, just just wonderful. Just to um, close your eyes and then open them again and see that. So uh, that's our, our bit of fun, really. A bit of a, a break away from the office. Now we're going to head back and and probably, uh, as Bro says, have a bit of a brew and then probably regret this all day long while we sit there, <laughs> bleary-eyed over the uh, staring at the screen but it's been um, it's been a fun few hours to come have a break away um and uh, perhaps we'll get a, another walk towards the weekend and get some fresh air but um more from us a bit later on the home of uk-based audio and video podcasts for lovers of the great outdoors everywhere it's all about getting out and having much more fun. Well done, Rosie. Well done. Well done, darling. As Rose finished the bike section and started the 5K run, the warmth of the day was really increasing, affecting everyone. But still, all the competitors gave it their best shot. At the finish line, there were three physiotherapists from the 206 Therapy Centre providing a sports massage to anyone that needed it to help relax those tight muscles and prevent any aches and pains after putting your body through an endurance event like this. When no one was looking, I nipped into the queue to see if one of them, Mindy Davy, could help me out with a calf injury I'd been nursing for a while. After the event was over, I asked her how many people they'd treated and more about the general benefits of sports massage for all outdoors users. 
Yes, um, we've had a good day today. I think we've seen um, four or five people each, um, which is quite a good turnout. I mean, it was reasonable numbers for the event itself, but relatively speaking, it's not a huge um, turnout. And, yeah, to get numbers like that is quite good. We tend to find that at triathlon events, um, people are more self-aware, people are more interested in preventative um, maintenance um, treatment as well. So compared to several of the sort of half marathon or 10K events that we have done, um, which have been much bigger entry numbers, um, we've had far fewer people coming to search for massage. I think perhaps there's a perception that um, doing a 10K or a half marathon, that you're a fun runner rather than a dedicated athlete. Is it, isn't, is it not also, do, do people, their approach to massage is slightly different. They tend to see it as a sort of a fun thing or a relaxing thing as opposed to actually a, a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's that sort of thing that it's um, a, a Swedish massage or an aromatherapy massage as, as opposed to something that we do, which is, is sports, sports massage for therapeutic purposes as well as maintenance as well. But yeah, a lot of it is the perception of the individual as well. I mean, potentially the sort of um, people that you come in contact with, they may perceive themselves as not being athletes and they don't aren't in a competitive sense but they're still asking a lot of their bodies on a regular basis and that impact that regular use of muscles is going to build up tension um that's going to become tight and potentially that's going to lead to symptoms to pain mm. i mean with the uh, with the triathlons and the sort of the athletes that we've mm. had here today i mean is there a sort of a common tension that they all suffer from in their calves or in their feet or their legs or their back yeah. and then how does that differ to other things like uh, hikers and walkers and that mm. sort of thing um the majority of the clients that i deal with um running is either their main running or walking is their main um or a big part of their activity base so as long as there isn't a specific injury involved, then yes, tension from, from the waist down is the main problem. So the, the, the big muscles in the legs, like the calves, the, the gastric and the soleus at the back of the calf, the hamstrings in particular as well, tend to get quite tight. Now that can happen for a variety of reasons. That can be related to overuse, um, that can be related to mechanics, to biomechanics. A lot of people are familiar with the term pronation or overpronation. That's a normal thing. We're all supposed to do it. It's whether it's controlled or not is the issue. And if it's not controlled, then the soft tissue takes up the slack and um, becomes tight as a result. Um, so, yeah, in the absence of a specific injury, the majority of things that we come across um, are uh, lower limb and, and the back of the lower limb in particular. Is there um, a, a sort of a common age where people start to look at this type of um, work uh, or, or suddenly affect, be aff affected by uh, muscular problems or as you say pronation has got to be a big thing certainly in the in the outdoor hiking community because there's so much uh, emphasis on getting the right boots the right shoes mm -hmm. a lot of people now are going from um, uh, traditional heavy leather boots mm -hmm. to much lighter footwear yeah. and approach shoes and doing longer trips and being more comfortable as mm -hmm. a result um, however there's always this um, area of concern that perhaps they could be possibly doing themselves any damage or, or not? Yeah. With the, regard to the first part of your question, there's a combination of um, age and uh, level of activity. Um, as to, to when problems come along or when awareness of problems comes along. Um, 
most people, when you start, you very much consider yourself a beginner, you know, and if you get hooked on whatever the activity is, the more you do of it, um, the more... Uh, likely you are to have problems if you have an underlying issue with your mechanics then obviously that uh, makes the problem highlights the problem more quickly but if you don't still with increased usage and generally it takes you time to get into the activity Mm. so therefore you are older Mm. but I'd say on average it's it's um mid to late 20s um early 30s that people start to become that little bit more aware um and exposure uh, and as they become more exposed to the activity they come across people who've been doing it for longer mm. periods of time they're getting that advice they're getting that information from them as well yes yes now i wish i'd started doing this this so earlier yeah mm. um you also a conversation we've just been having you you also teach uh, pilates i understand as That's well right. um and again uh, i've been brought to yoga through through Rose, and Rose has been a, a keen uh, supporter of, of that sort of activity and, and well, exercise really. Yeah. Um, again, is there um, a reluctance by um, predominantly men and older men, I suppose, really, to actually get involved in something like that? And, and I presume there are plenty of benefits in, in that for them as well. Absolutely. Um, age and gender are not restrictions with regard to doing activities like Pilates and, and yoga at all. But yes, Yes, there is a perception, and I'd say it's related to our society, um, that things like Pilates and yoga are female-based activities. Men generally tend to, to perceive that. And if I can you know, come across somebody who is open or willing or can be convinced to come along and have a go, they realise that actually there is a quite a high... Um, skill level required, quite a lot of control and precision to do Pilates. I'm not familiar with yoga myself uh, to any great level, so I can't compare directly. Um, and, and once they come along and, and realise that the next day that actually they can feel their abs, they can feel their, their glutes, depending on what um, set of exercises we've been doing that evening, they get the benefit. And again, coming back to sort of age, experience, um, and, and, and what's coming across with, with research into training in general now, this concept of needing to recover from activity and this idea of, of cross-training and doing activities that are linked to your main um, activity but not uh, directly related. So, if, for example, if you were a hiker or a walker, that's an impact activity. Something like Pilates is non-impact, but it works on improving the core control through your trunk, through your limbs, and you need that control as you're walking across uneven ground, um, as you're changing terrain. Um, if you don't have that control, then potentially you start to put pressure on the joints and again experience um, symptoms and pain. So it's all it's all preventive medicine. And of course, mm-hmm. we, you know, in, in, from a walker's point of view, they're usually carrying a heavy load, which is exaggerating yeah, the problem anyway, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Now you're you're based at or um, well, the, the the space that you have, I understand, is at Worcester University. That's right. Um, it's a fairly unusual um, uh, business name, website name. So please give us that again and uh, tell us how that uh, that came about. Yeah. Um, so we've got the name Two O Six Physiotherapy, which is either numerical or, or written in letters. And it was actually my sister-in-law who came up. Um, with the name we wanted something catchy and her suggestion was to use the number of bones in the human body 
as the, the title. Okay. The idea being that people would question the title because it was a little bit unusual, but, but catchy number to remember. And then hopefully it would stick that little bit more because, oh, right, a bit of trivia. Tri- you know, people tend to like a little bit, yeah, of, yeah. Little bit of trivia. Yeah. Um, we were uh, linked two and a half, three years ago directly with um, Runaround Sports um, at Top Barn in, in Holt when they were in town um, but when they moved premises up to Top Barn there wasn't physically space for us here and the opportunity came up to use rooms at the university um, and that's been been quite a good move for us it's now a nice central location and you know there's an element of um, connection with the university which is good for reputation. And uh, finally the, the sort of range of people that you have visiting you and, and using your services and so on, do they specifically fit the sports category or generally uh, much wider than that? Yeah, generally much wider than that. No, we get quite a big big selection. Obviously we do treat a lot of sports injuries and, and that's our background and our base, but no, we get staff from the university both teaching and admin staff, so they're coming in with a variety of, of different common you know, back neck complaints uh, potentially related to postural problems um, we also work with some of the medical insurance companies so we're getting people coming in after car accidents um, with whiplash type injuries um, so no we get quite a broad range of, of people coming in definitely Well, that pretty well brings this podcast to a close. It's been a glorious day and we're going to uh, go and enjoy the, the rest of the sunshine and probably have a look at the football a bit later on. It is the classic match tonight after all. Uh, Rose, it would appear, is in second place uh, as a final position for her her second triathlon. So congratulations, Rose. Only 40 seconds. 40 yeah, seconds no, between you I'd and known, first. If I'd known. <laughs> 40 seconds. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm very impressed and yeah. congratulations on that score. So, um, and you've uh, you've enjoyed it? Yes, it's been good. It's it's. I was quite apprehensive about this because it was a, a much harder bike ride. It was uh, 27.5k and pretty hilly in places, to say the least. Um, and the heat on the run was, it was just like an oven. It was yeah. hard work, so... But, I mean, it's, uh, the, you were doing the sprint event and there were people doing double the, the event, weren't there? I mean, that was even more impressive. And they all finished at the same time as well, which is which was incredible. Anyway, um, so that brings us to a close um, and at the end of a gloriously sunny day. um, Thanks to all our guests and uh, for Mindy there for joining us and giving us a bit of background. And uh, I hope you enjoyed our little camping expedition on top of Midsummer Hill. It's uh, a great time to get out and and do some bivying. Until next time, folks, uh, don't forget to vote for us in the um, European Podcast Awards. There's a link on the front page of both Backpacking Light and the Outdoor Station, and uh, your vote is greatly appreciated. All the best, Enjoy the summer and uh, bye for now. In 2009, thanks to the voting of our listeners, our podcast series won the UK Business Podcast Award. This year, we've been nominated once again, and we would love to make it through to the European finals, if at all possible. If you feel our mixed bag of podcasts have provided you with lots of free entertainment and information these last 12 months and would like to support us by voting for us, please visit the backpackinglight.co.uk website or the outdoorstation.co.uk website and click on the Vote For Us button. Voting is a simple affair and every click is greatly appreciated. 
Closing date is the end of July 2010. So let your mouse do all the work. The European Podcast Awards 2010. Keeping the spirit of independent production well and truly alive. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each programme we produce, answer questions and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.